love the clickbait, don't we? We love the easy stories. For example, the moon landing. Just kidding. <laughs> Donald Trump's hair, Sean's glasses. None of these things are real. I'm just kidding. They're all real. But we all believe different things about the world, and we all have very strong opinions in this room, and these opinions are based upon lots of, lots of it has to do with like our families, our history, maybe things that we've read, maybe our education. But a lot of us are pretty um, rigid in things that we believe. This is Mike Hughes right here, and um, Mike Hughes was convinced that the world was flat. And he made a homemade rocket to prove that it's flat. And I was so interested. I was watching this live video a few months ago when he was going to take off, but he had problems, and then he said he would do it at a later date. The later date was this week. He launched, he crashed, and he actually died this week, this guy. Convinced that the world was flat. And there's so many people that were following him and so intrigued about this story, and it ended in that way. But this was a man who was 100% convinced, despite um, officials at NASA themselves coming to him and giving him proof, pictures, everything that he could possibly need. Nothing would convince him based upon his stance and his, his, his learned experience or else maybe just his bias that he had toward it. But we all have strong opinions. For example, within this room, we probably have similar opinions on issues like abortion, but maybe slightly different opinions on things like euthanasia. And I'm not talking about the coronavirus. <laughs> yeah, euthanasia. It's a funny joke. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Gun control. Man, gun control. Let's talk about that. Not socialism. Even things like homosexuality and gender. Things, uh, questions about the Donald. Eh? The Justin. Hawaiian pizza, I mean, we could get really heated up in this place, and we all have very strong opinions on things and behaviors that come from all of these past experiences, and we all have different behaviors that we have, and justification for different behaviors, and, and different beliefs on how we should live our lives and how we should spend our money, and this was a very fascinating week. The person that I have quoted the most in the last year, like by a mile, was this man, Jean Vanier. And I love Jean Vanier. He, I would say that he's one of the major influencers in my life. This was a man who started this organization called La Arche. And through this organization that has now moved into many countries, I think it's 36 they, they serve thousands of, of underprivileged people and special needs, and they're just the most beautiful organization in the world. And his books have informed my theology and my heart. And last Saturday, right, as, as everyone was doing options at Rush, the, the news was released that um, by his organization that he founded, he's, he died a few years back at the age of 90, um, that he had sexually ab abused at least six women. And as I'm, I'm just reading all this stuff on my Facebook, and it's on CBC, and my heart just hurt. And these things happened over a period of 35 years. And, and this is a man that is just so soft-hearted and beautiful, and, and many people would consider a modern-day saint. But it was behavior that he either 
justified somehow in his heart or he became hardened to and didn't see it as as sin anymore. And because of this, I felt a lot of grief that a hero of mine did these things. And Melissa sent me this quote and I found it quite profound. This is from Jason Grabbery. It says this, people of deep conviction and virtue are also vulnerable to profound deception, corruption by power, and disordered loves. We hide from the fact that we are all monstrous saints, or else saintly monsters. We are both, and so is Jean Vanier. And tonight actually might be the most important night in some of your lives, I believe. You see, we're all monstrous saints, aren't we? I mean, before the Father, if we're... If we're followers of Jesus and have died to ourselves, and before him we are sinless, and so we're saints, we're in Christ. But at the same time, we can be monstrous saints, can't we? Having blind spots, having things in our life that, that have gone unchecked, or parts of our heart that have become hardened, or parts of our, our, our action and behavior that have become sinful, and we've just justified it. And so we need some fresh revelation, and luckily, this is what Jesus does. Here's what King David says. He says, and this is a powerful prayer, and this is sort of my invitation to each one of you this evening. He says, search me, O God, know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Oh, that's a, that's a powerful prayer. This is, this is a prayer where you come to God with just complete trust and you say like, okay, God, here I am, I'm laid bare and you know what? Search me and it's, it's trusting him. It's like going into surgery and letting the doctor put you under. You don't know what's about to happen and you have no control, but you're saying, I trust you right now. I trust that somehow that you'll, you'll make me better and this is God. Search me. And if you find any offensive way in me, just cut it out. Remove it. This is profound trust. And right now we're in the season of Lent. And this began last Tuesday, to some extent. The season of Lent um, has been sort of known for some holidays that are the opposite of Lent. Things like Mardi Gras. You guys know Mardi Gras? Carnival. These originated from Lent. See, Jesus retreated into the desert for 40 days after his baptism to be tempted, and he fasted and prayed. This was before he began his ministry. And the season of Lent is essentially doing the same thing. It's saying, I am going to now fast something for 40 days, just like Jesus did. I'm copying the same thing that he did. And it begins officially on Ash Wednesday. And this is what people sometimes do. I don't know if any of you guys saw this on Wednesday, but people would take some ash or they would go to a priest and they would apply it to their forehead in the shape of a cross. And then this would be repeated. Remember, you are dust and to dust you will return. It's this powerful statement at the beginning of Lent, just a reminder of our mortality this is the context that, that I'm living for eternity because so often our behavior is determined based on tomorrow or the next day. But this is saying in light of that, up until about 100 years ago, churches were built with graveyards in front of them. Wouldn't that be weird? 
You guys like park, walk up past all the graves out there, and then come into church. What's, what would be eerie is the fact that you would recognize most of those names. You'd be like, oh yeah, oh my goodness. It could be like one of your parents there or a sibling. And you're reminded of the fact that, that, that your life is short. It's a vapor and and we're going to stand before God. And often in these graveyards, people would purchase a plot, and so you would know your spot. You'd be walking into church, and it's like, oh, there it is. That's going to be me. For sure, I'm going to be in that spot right there. And it changes your perspective. And so people would have this on their forehead and remind themselves, oh, my goodness, this is me. And they would fast for 40 days. But they would have a day, which is called Fat Tuesday, the day before Ash Wednesday, where they had to use up all their stuff, like fresh meat, dairy, eggs, and lard. So much lard for some reason. And so often they would make pancakes. So you guys heard of the day, pancake day? Yeah? (laughs) That's kind of, yeah, pancake day. It's the same thing as Fat Tuesday. And what would happen is that they would come and they would eat all these things that are going to be perishable. They'd eat them, and then they would have a little celebration because the next day they start to fast. However, people started to pick these things up as a day to indulge in all the sin they're not going to do later. And one day wasn't enough, so they stretched it beforehand and then had these massive holidays that were terrible and had nothing to do. The polar opposite of what Lent was all about. And it's called Mardi Gras and Carnival. And then Lent came, and they actually just completely ignored Lent altogether. But Lent was the real deal. It's this beautiful period where they would anticipate, like, freedom, greater intimacy with God. So beautiful. Because our lives get messy, don't they? You guys ever notice that? That, that we fall into bad habits, it's kind of like winter. You guys know how when spring comes and all the snow melts, you look there and it's like, oh my goodness, that's gross. There's like broken branches and leaves. And if you have a dog, you know what that's like? All the snow melts and there's just like six months worth of dog poo right there. You know what I'm saying? It's the worst. I used to take a hockey stick and just shoot it in my neighbor's yard just one after the next. <laughs> it's fertilizer. I mean, whatever. By the time it gets to the yard, it's, you can't even tell what it is. But essentially, Lent is this. It's, it's spring cleaning. It's getting rid of all the poo in your life. It's saying, all of this buildup that's been going on in my life, I'm now taking a time to get rid of it and come before God and saying, God, deal with this. I was listening to a sermon by Francis Chan, and he stepped into this process in a way that I never anticipated him needing to. This is what he said, and some of you guys might resonate with this. He said, I have never in my life prayed for somebody to be healed and they've been healed. He said, I haven't even been in the room when this has happened. He said, I'll go overseas even, and I'll be in the room and nobody will get healed because of me. That's what he said. He said, I am the great healing blocker. This is what he believed about himself. And so he just came before God and said, like, God, this is a lie. This is not true. And, and this is something that he brought before God. And one day a group of people asked to come and meet with him for an hour, and he said, you got an hour, and that's it. That's all I got. So they met at 11, and it went till noon, and they were praying, and it was wonderful. So they said, let's keep going. 
So they went two hours, and then three hours, and then four hours, and he said, it was so awesome, we just kept going. He said, we prayed for 10 hours. He said, we've never done that before. I've never been a part of a 10-hour prayer, but it was wonderful. And then it got scary for him. Somebody said, can you pray for my toe? (laughs) She was a mom, and she was having a hard time being a mom because of her toe. And there was 20 people there, and they're like, yeah, let's pray for her toe. And Francis was like, oh, no. And he kind of like shrunk into the background. And they started to pray for the toe. And, And they said, out of 10, how much pain do you have? And she said, eight. So they prayed and prayed and prayed. A while later, they said, how about now? And she said, maybe a seven. How about now? It might be a little better. <laughs> and then they kept praying. How about now? I don't know, seven or eight. And it kept going like this. And Francis was getting so frustrated, and he just fell on his face before God, and he said, God, you know what? It's either this or I leave, but you're way bigger than this. I mean, there's 20 people praying for a stupid toe. Come on. And, and he's just laying there on his face, and he said, God, please, just, I pray that she just be healed and just jump up and down. And then all of a sudden, she starts screaming and jumping up and down and just going nuts. And she's like, it's finally healed. He said this was the first time ever in his life that this lie that he is some sort of curse was just removed from him. And, and the floodgates opened in his church. They said that after that, every Sunday, there would be so many people coming and just getting healed. It's so cool. And there was this other guy just like this. His, his son was, was demon-possessed. And whenever the spirit seized him, he fell and became mute and started foaming at the mouth. So he brought his son to Jesus. And Jesus said this. He said, Everyone, everything's possible for him who believes. And listen to what happens. This is Mark 9. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. And listen to this. Help me overcome my unbelief. Do you ever want to just pray that? Like, At that moment, the spirit shrieked and and shook the boy and the, the spirit came out of him and he fell over like he was unconscious. You see, both that man and Francis, they did the same thing. They invited God to change their minds and to give them faith to believe. That's what they did. They invited him to be in control. They just said, God, just search me. Do surgery. Like, just, I I invite you, help me, give me faith. We like to be in control, and and we don't often do this in Kelowna where we just say, actually, I trust you with my life. If you look up Kelowna on Wikipedia, you'll find these facts. Go ahead after this and look it up on Wikipedia. 200,000 people in the general area. But on this website, it says that 40% identify as Christian Does that seem right to you guys, 40%? That's 80,000 people in Kelowna are Christian? That's not true. From my knowledge of Kelowna, there's maybe 10,000 people that would actively go to church. But the reality is, is that we live like atheists according to our behaviors. There's two kinds of atheists. There's this first one. There's theoretical atheism. And these would be people 
who would, who would say there is no God for a host of reasons, the presence of evil and suffering in the world or um, Darwinism or humanism or just some sort of different belief system that they've adopted. But then there's this concept of practical atheism where people believe in God but live as though there is no God. In a recent Gallup poll in the U.S., 95% of Americans say that there is a God. So 95% in the U.S. But in that same poll, only one-fifth, one out of five, say that he has a major influence in their lives. Just think about that for a moment, that most people believe in him, but only 20% actually say he has any influence at all. That's practical atheism. Here's what Mark Sayer said. I just, this is a fascinating statement. What we are experiencing is not the eradication of God from the Western mind, but rather the enthroning of self as the greatest authority. See, I think in this room, we would all say there is a God. Am I right? It's clear. It's obvious. Eternity is in our heart. But it's a completely different thing to come to God and say, here I am. Search me. Do surgery. I trust you. And I'm also going to follow you. And so this concept of being enthroning ourself as the greatest authority is the most dangerous place to exist. Listen to what Proverbs 14 says. Solomon says, There's a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. And I see this constantly. I see followers of Jesus who worship him and are baptized, but then when it comes to their sexuality, say, I'm going to decide my sexuality. Whenever, whenever we choose outside of his commands, that's practical atheism. When we say, I'm actually going to decide for me how that looks, it's practical atheism. It seems right every time, but in the end it leads to death, it leads to pain. And so many people consume porn and justify it. I hear it all the time, but I'm doing this, but I'm not doing this. I'm not having sex. I'm I'm not doing this, this, or this. I'm just doing this private thing. It's this justification, and it appears to be right once again, but it leads to pain and death in areas of our life, and again, it's practical atheism. And Scripture is so clear that if we're rich and we store up treasure for ourselves, then this is a sin. The Bible calls us to radical generosity. It's practical atheism. You see, we try to live by our own wisdom, but at the end of the day, we're just idiots. You know what I'm saying? This is what God says to Job. He says, who are you, Job? You don't know anything. Your mind is finite. You don't have wisdom. I am the source of all wisdom. Trust me. See, we fool ourselves. We're so much like Adam and Eve, I think. God, God has said to us, here's life. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. All of this I've given for you to enjoy. Enjoy it. Enjoy me. 
But he gave us choice and said, this is the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It's knowing sin. They wanted to know what sin looked like, believing that God was keeping something from them. It seemed right, but it led to death. And I really believe that today, we need to get things right. We need to come to God and just say, God, you show me what's right. Does my life line up with Scripture? I mean, so many people in our, in our world that we've, we've witnessed have fallen and, and have disqualified them, haven't they? So many people. And, and if we just come to God and we just say, God, just search me, know my heart. We need to get it right today. And, and I really believe that, that sometimes we, we put this stuff off and the, here's the problem is that then we go and make disciples because we're being obedient that way. And the problem is, is that we just multiply ourselves because it's easy to multiply other people because it's so, our sinful nature is to enthrone ourselves as the highest authority, isn't it? And so it's easy for other people to replicate that. But don't, don't make disciples unless you're completely surrendered to Jesus. Don't go to L.A. Don't be a, a youth leader. Don't work in kids' ministry until we simply say, God, like, I'm following you. you. You are on the throne of my life, not me. Listen to what Jesus says. This is crazy to the Pharisees. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Whoa. This is a crazy statement that Jesus is making. He's saying this. He's saying, you're not following me, but yet you're making disciples and just multiplying yourself. Here, this is so powerful in Hebrews. He says this, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. I'm just going to invite you into something really beautiful and radical tonight. It is just this simple, as we worship, just say, God, search me, know me. If you find anything, just reveal it to me, and then have the courage to just throw it off tonight. Just be like, okay, this is gone from me. This will not be a part of who I am. If there's a part of your life where you recognize that, that you are living like a, a practical atheist, where you believe in God, but you're not trusting him with something, then say, God, I lay this thing down to you. I, I don't want this anymore. I want to be a sold-out follower of Jesus. This is who I want to be. Um, I'm going to pray, and, and we're going to worship. And I'm going to invite you to come and take communion. And, and every time we do this, this is, this is surrendering to him. When we do this, what we do is we, is we cast off those things in our life that, that we want to be removed. And we name it right before him. And we say, God, I'm dying to this. I'm trusting you again with this. It's a powerful thing that we get to do. And we get to come to him and say, God, oh, remind me of who I am. In this season of Lent, when we prepare for Easter, I'm going to invite you 
to whatever God highlights to you, to just name it and before him just say, God, I am laying this down in this season of Lent. And the victory that Jesus gave us on the cross is powerful. And Easter, it only has meaning with the resurrection when there's actually the death to the things that enslave us. Amen? His power is made perfect in our weakness. He overcame our death and our hopelessness and gave us abundant hope. That's what he does. See, when, when, we, when we expose ourselves to the great, to the great surgeon... to the great physician and say, God, here I am. We always, always leave whole and always leave complete. He's absolutely good. Why don't you join me in prayer? So, Father...